Well, I'm very thankful that all of you braved very cold weather to be here either in person this morning or I know many of you are watching online and we welcome uh, you as well. And I think it uh, ironic and maybe even providential that we would choose this weekend on all of our campuses, West Fort Worth, South Lake, North Richmond Hills, to pray for caregivers, particularly those who are taking care of aging parents. Many of you by now know that um, my mother-in-law passed away Friday night. Jamie had the great privilege of spending most of the last week of her life with her, taking care of her as she fought a number of medical issues. And because I knew that some of you would know that and that you would hear what I was going to say today through that lens of the uh, grief that our family is dealing with right now, I thought and prayed about how I should share my thoughts, and I feel like the Lord really put it on my heart, uh, preach this sermon like Bobby would want to hear it. My mother-in-law loved me, my ministry, she even thought my humor was good. (laughs) She loved this church, she watched almost every week online, and so in her honor, I am going to preach this sermon just like I prepared it. Just like she would want to hear it because, well, she can. So, I believe the Jesus life is possible. You and I really can think, talk, act, and love. More like Jesus. He never asked anybody to accept him. But he invited everybody to follow him. With the understanding that in following we would become like the one we followed. And so the question then is. Is that what you really Want. Because consequences come from becoming like Jesus. Perhaps you've heard the story of the teenage boy who turned 16 and approached his father about the possibility of getting a car. And the father said, son, before I would help you get a car, you would need to make some changes in your life. And the boy said, what changes? And the father said, well, you would need to raise your grades. You would need to get a job. And you would need to cut off all that long hair. Well, three months later, the boy again approached his father about the possibility of help getting a car. The father said, son, I thought we agreed you needed to make some changes. And the boy said, and I think I have, dad. I have raised my grades from a C plus to an A minus average in all of my classes. And I've gotten a job. I've been working out for several months and I've done a good job. You could ask my boss, and he would tell you, I'm a good employee. And the father said, yes, son, but I see you still have all that long hair. And the boy replied, Dad, you know that Bible you and Mom gave me for Christmas? I was flipping through it, and I saw a picture of Jesus. And Jesus had long hair. And the father replied, yes. And he walked everywhere he went, didn't he? (laughs) And so again, I ask. How much do you really want to be like Jesus? Because what's happened 
is that we have many people who have settled for what this culture calls a Christian. And you can be a Christian in this culture and not have to be anything like Jesus. And that's not the win for our church. Our win is not to get a lot of people inside a room who like Jesus. Our win is to get together, to encourage, to hear, to grow, so that we can go into the world and be like Jesus. The win is fellowship. And that's why by now I hope you have memorized this simple but critical mission statement. Our church exists to make and grow followers of Jesus through worship, through community, and through service. I refer to worship as following up, community as following around. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to follow through and serve. Because Jesus said of himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And here's the irony. Many Christians pick a church for the exact opposite reason. They don't pick a church to serve. They pick a church because they think this will be a good place to be served. And in consumer cultural Christianity, what you have is a church marketplace where pastors drive themselves crazy trying to keep whiny people happy so they don't take their membership to the franchise down the road where they can get served better. Now, it is not wrong to go to a church where your needs are met. It's wrong when the church condones rather than confronts the it's all about me paradigm that has infected our culture. So I'm suggesting perhaps when someone comes to our church and investigates the possibility of being a part of what God is doing here, the first thing we ought to say is you need to lose the me in member. Because if we're doing the church the way Jesus taught, it's not all about me. But it's very hard. It's very hard to practice self-denial in a culture obsessed with self-absorption. Now, let me give you an illustration. What word did the Oxford English Dictionary choose as word of the year for 2013? It's a word that increased in use 17,000%. It was a unanimous choice, and I've already heard it. Selfie. Now, a few months ago, I kept hearing that word, selfie. What does that mean? Here's what I learned it means. that You can take your smartphone, and you can take a picture of yourself to share with the world who needs to know more about you. I thought, are you serious? This is what it means. But then someone says, well, try it. Well, last week, Jamie was gone in San Antonio with her mother. So I thought, I'll just record my week 
for her. So you, this is my very first ever attempt at a selfie. <laughs> Obviously, I need to work, so I tried to get a little closer. I just kept trying, and finally I got it. There I am. That's my selfie. So I thought, hey, this is kind of fun. So this is a selfie of me at my desk writing the sermon you are hearing right now. There it is. And then this is a picture of me on 820. This is a picture of me at supper because I've learned something. Apparently, it is very, very important for all of us to take pictures of what we're having to eat to show to the world. I did not know how we survived for centuries not knowing what somebody else was having to eat. So there I'm having chili and chips and I went home and I took a picture of myself. I wanted to show Jamie while she was gone that if I used any dish, I put it in the dishwasher. Now the problem is those were clean dishes. I was supposed to take them out first, but, but I think it's the point that counts. That's a picture of me going to work out. That's a picture of me after my workout. Actually, the paramedics took that one. This is a picture of me. This is the day Jamie's coming home. I took a selfie to show her I made the bed. And this is a picture of me realizing I was supposed to take the sheets off and wash them before I made the bed. But I did not unmake the bed because that's uh, man rule number one. You never unmake a made bed. I got to admit, it's kind of addicting. And it's also subtly potentially toxic. Because again, I made myself the center of everything I was showing to the world. Every day, the prevailing currents take us in the direction of self-centeredness. And Jesus is constantly calling his followers to go against the flow. So, for example, in Mark 9, they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. And sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Jesus did not say it's wrong to want to do something great in your life. It's wrong to want to be great the way the world recognizes greatness. The world recognizes greatness from the top down. Jesus says in the kingdom of God, it's from the bottom up. Be a servant. But the self-virus is so strong that after three years in seminary with Jesus... They still show symptoms up to the very end. So it's the last supper. You can read about it in Luke 22. I mean, it is the last meal before Jesus is going to the cross. They are still arguing about self-importance. And this time, Jesus responds by following through. John 13, starting in verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew... That the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Now, think about it. If there's ever a moment in anybody's life where they could legitimately be focused more on what they're about to go through, this is it. 
having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Judas is at the table. If there's ever a moment when anybody legitimately has a right to hate, this is it. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. That he'd come from God. He was returning to God. If there was ever a moment in history where a man had a right to be proud, this was it. So, he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Instead of grasping for position, which he could legitimately claim, he grabbed a towel. And so I'm going to ask you again. Do you want to be like Jesus? But there's some very simple things you're going to have to grasp. The first is that servant is my identity. We're not just following Jesus because he came our way, but because of the way he came. Because when he came down, he really came down. Philippians 2 says, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant. He didn't come greater than everybody, though he was. He came less than anybody. The path of fellowship always goes downhill. Luke 6. The student's not above the teacher. Everyone who's fully trained... Will be like their teacher. And the teacher was a servant. And so you see there are many job descriptions in the kingdom of God. But they're just one title. Servant. When you said I will follow Jesus. You signed up for full time 24-7 service. Now I'm not talking about a career. I'm not talking about signing up for a program. I'm talking about a redefinition of your very self. It's not so much what you're called to do. It's who you're called to be. One of my favorite lines from the men's conference was when Bob Goff said, Stop calling it ministry and start calling it Tuesday. In other words, it's not like you take on and put off the servant cap. It never comes off. Now, I'm going to illustrate with one of the best servants I know. I married her. I didn't ask her permission. I'm asking forgiveness instead. So two weeks ago, it's Martin Luther King Day, and a lot of people have a holiday. Jamie volunteers at a wonderful ministry called Pregnancy Help For You. She counsels women with unexpected 
pregnancies who were thinking about terminating them. And they had a need for help on that holiday, so she gave up half of her holiday to go and be with those girls. The next day, we had a dear friend and neighbor who was having a biopsy. Jamie just said, don't worry about supper, I'll bring it over. And she did. The next day, she went out to Southlake campus where she leads and teaches a small group of women in the morning. And then in the afternoon, she went back to Pregnancy Help for Youth Center to do her normal weekly shift. The next day, she and two wonderful women from this church drove to South Texas to visit a former member, a young mother, who lost a baby late term, to spend a day with her just to cry and pray and love on her. The next day, she drove to Austin because my sister-in-law has uh, some little girls. One has Down syndrome, and the biggest one wanted to go to a play, so Jamie went down to keep the little one so they could do that. And while she's in Austin, we get a phone call, and my nephew, her brother's oldest, who has cystic fibrosis, had a sudden very critical stay in the hospital. And since they're the primary caregivers of my mother-in-law, Jamie said, you go take care of Jake. I'm coming down to San Antonio with one change of clothes and just taking care of mama. And she did for a week. Now, at no point did Jamie wake up and say, now this is official ministry. It is true that some of her ministry was part of a church program. Some of it was part of helping a very noble institution. But she just doesn't think that way. She just wakes up and thinks, it's Tuesday. And she looks for where she can help. You wonder, why do the elders of this church put up with me? It's simple. They know if I go, I take her with me. (laughs) Now I ask you. Is servant your identity? Or is it just a cap you put on every now and then? Now, I'll tell you how to know. Who are you when nobody notices and nobody applauds and nobody says thank you? Well, if you keep following through, then you are a follower of Jesus. Because you understand, service is your responsibility. That fellowship is more than just the absence of badness. It's the presence of active goodness. In other words, when Jesus called you and said, follow me. He wasn't saying, stop that, stop that, stop that. He was calling you to do this, do this, do this. It's not just what he's called you away from, but what he's called you into. You weren't just saved from... You were saved for. In fact, you know there's a verse in the Bible that says, Before you got saved, God had prepared in advance good works for you to do. One of the core beliefs of our church is the priesthood of all believers. In other words, we don't think ministry and service is for a special class of people. We think service is for every single person enrolled in following Jesus class. We're all priests. We have shifted from consumer to contributor. To this end, every believer of Jesus has been filled with the very same Holy Spirit and supernaturally gifted to serve. Same Spirit, not always in the same way. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, there's different kinds of service. 
but the same Lord. 1 Peter 4 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. When I was a boy, I played a lot of sports, but that doesn't mean I got into a lot of games. I wasn't really good, so I got the uniform and I watched the other boys play a lot. Here's the cool thing about Jesus' team. Everybody plays. When Jesus gave you a jersey, it was never his intention you would sit up on the stands and watch other people play the game. And the other thing about Jesus' game, the win is when you help somebody else score. Stephen Colbert, well-known comedian, gave a commencement address at Northwestern University where he's a graduate. And he said, when I graduated college, I went to Chicago and I got involved in a famous improvisation comedy team. Here's the thing I learned about improv. You can never think in the moment, this scene is about me. In improv, you have to be thinking, how can I set up and make the other person more important? And they have to be thinking the same thing. And then he said, life is a lot like improv. Every day you wake up and life throws you an audible and you got to improvise. You don't win life. But you do life thinking, how can I help somebody else win? And so you have this basin of water. And you're either going to do life washing your hands like Pilate saying, I'm out of here. Or grabbing a towel like Jesus. And for some people that's a downer. For us... We think it's the way we lift up Jesus. Because we understand, and this is very important, serving is our priority. Why did Jesus wash their feet? What deep, mystical, profound, complicated, theological motivation was he illustrating? Why did Jesus wash their feet? You know why? They were dirty. And when you're a servant and you see a need, you respond. And that's what Jesus sends us in the world to do. He did not send us in the world to force our values and our faith onto the world. He said, you're not going to do it top down. You're going to do it bottom up. We live... In a day, an age where people are skeptical of faith, particularly Christian faith. Because, like I said at the first sermon of this series, people have seen so many Christians that look nothing like Jesus. They're pretty skeptical of the whole thing. And so, our witness cannot be primarily propositional. It's going to have to be observational. Now, here's why. Because there is no effective Rebuttal to service. If the church lives like the church should live, she will always be against the flow of culture. And she will always get pushback. And here's what the Holy Spirit through the servant Peter says we should do. It's God's desire that by doing good, you should stop the foolish people. From saying stupid things about you. 
Live as free people. Do not use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Live as servants of God. The greatest apologetic, the greatest argument from the pushback and the skepticism and the criticism of culture is to live as servants of God because there is no effective rebuttal to service. It's hard for us sometimes to believe that service could matter that much because nobody's clapping. Nobody's liking us on Facebook. But listen, we need to take a higher view of what happens when we go low. Look at this picture. Simon Beck is an artist. He lives in Savoy, France. For exercise, he used to run, and then he had an injury, and his feet got damaged. He couldn't run anymore, so he put on some snowshoes. He said, I'll just trudge through the snow for exercise. But remember, he's an artist. And he got to thinking, what could happen if I was more intentional? So you just look at that picture, and you think, what's he doing? But take the high view. Every single step matters. Every single step is a part of a bigger picture that you can see from above. I believe when Jesus releases an army of servants into the world, every step is creating a masterpiece to the glory of God. I hope I didn't make any young mom in here feel guilty when I gave you the illustration of my wife. Let me tell you, for a real long season, here was Jamie's life. Three loads of wash, two loads of dishes, changing diapers, and cleaning up vomit all day long. And that was her step. And she took it every day. And for some of you, your step is coaching that little boy t-ball team and half those boys don't have a daddy at home and they're wild and they're rambunctious and you wonder if you're making a difference. Just keep taking a step. And for some of you, that step is just being kind to that waitress who's not doing a very good job or that clerk that's checking you out that seems frazzled because it's been a long day. And you give them a smile and you give them a kind word. And you just keep taking a step. And for some of you, being there to honor your mother and your father when they don't even know who you are anymore is your step. Got an email last week from a former member of our church who moved away four years ago to take care of his mother who had Alzheimer's. And when it got to where they couldn't go to church anymore, they would watch us every Sunday online. They would sing the songs with us. They would stand up when we stood up. They would pass out communion. They would listen to the sermon. When we had meet and greet, they would stand up and they would do meet and greet. Because every week she thought it was her first week there. And he just took that step every day until she passed. And I believe if we could truly Embrace the value of taking those steps. We would make the Lord Jesus look more beautiful to a skeptical world. If anyone serves, Peter says, 
They should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So I ask you again, do you really want to be like Jesus? Then get rid of the me and member and keep the low and follow. Because if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to go low. You're going to have to get your hands dirty. They don't deserve to be forgiven. Forgive anyway. Go low. That kid in school is awkward, and none of the cool kids want to ever invite him to your table at lunch. Go low. Get your hands dirty. That family down the street has a child with special needs, and they are exhausted. And you know if you give them a break, and you spend one day taking care of that child, you're going to be exhausted. Go low. Your kids are grown, but you find out that they need help in the Bible classes for the children in the summer. Go low. Get your hands dirty if you want to be like Jesus. The path of fellowship always goes downhill. And it's worth it. Because at the end of the path, you're going to hear these words. Well done. Good and faithful servant. And so I'm asked all the time, Pastor, where's your church meet? That's a complicated answer. Not just because we have three campuses, but because that's just where my church meets a couple of hours a week. Where's my church? In courthouses, in classrooms, in garages, in office parks, in parks, and in nurseries. My church is all over Tarrant County taking steps to follow Jesus. And you need to get in the game. The Jesus life really is possible. But you have to follow through. So pray with me. We're asking now, Father, that in the power of your Holy Spirit, every heart will apply this teaching in the way most appropriate to their own life. Whether it's to receive encouragement or conviction, To receive clarity or affirmation. I pray, Father, that every heart will receive from the Holy Spirit a clear vision of the next step. And we pray this because we believe an army of servants will make Jesus look good. And so for His honor, we ask it. Amen.
Let's all stand. Prayer teams are going to be down front so that you can respond for prayer, for baptism, for encouragement as you offer your life to Jesus.